National Association for the Visual Arts is the peak body protecting and promoting the professional interests of the Australian visual arts. Nava in Conversation is a series exploring the issues and challenges of working in the sector. We speak with artists, curators and administrators to gain insight into the experiences of contemporary practice and seek to propose ideas for change, progress and resilience in both local and global contexts. My name's Lucy McIntosh and I'm the Vice Chair of Blindside, which is an artist-run space in Melbourne. I'm also a practicing artist and I'm also a gallery assistant at Alcaston Gallery. My name's Shani Goodwin. I'm an artist but also the director of Boss Projects, um, an artist-run organisation uh, based in Collingwood here in Victoria. I'm Rosemary Ford. Um, I'm the chair of Unprojects, which um, is an organisation publishing Unmagazine and other projects. Um, apart from that, I'm also uh, currently doing a PhD in curatorial practice, so primarily a curator. Uh, my name is Georgia Hutchison. I work as general manager for Liquid Architecture, an organisation dealing with sound and listening, based in Melbourne but working nationally. I also work as a researcher with All Conference. I'm a creative producer working with artists around Melbourne and Australia, and I'm, I'm a practising artist myself. Why did you decide to get involved with these spaces and with these organisations? I guess I romantically am, I think collective action is really important and the idea of being a singular kind of entity kind of flinging through is, it seems quite lonely and it seems quite scary, um, especially I guess as you know, funding gets um, whittled away piece by piece. It's very hard to just exist. And so all conference has been a very um, exciting, but also like a good support network. And it's just uh, really great to be able to come together and realize that, you know, you're, you're not struggling alone. And I think that, um, I think that it's uh, like collective action is quite urgent right now. And so, we're at a very good starting point, I think. How would you describe Blindside? Um, Blindside is quite an old, so I think we're coming into our 15th year of operation. Um, and I guess Blindside, Blindside was established to, um, to kind of, I guess, similarly to lots of ARIs in Australia to kind of create space for um, new arts graduates, emerging artists, but more and more Blindside has become a space for mid-career artists as well. Um, um, we've also kind of become this education platform, I guess. We have, I'm not sure if it's because of funding, but we've developed an education program, which is really wonderful. It started for secondary, um, secondary students at high school and has now kind of moved into the university space as well. Um, and I guess it's just a, it's, it's like a testing space. It's a space that's safe for people to fail, which is really important. It's not very glamorous. People don't really talk about that very often, but it's a space that artists can kind of test new ideas and um, not have to have any pressure of kind of the commercial implications of their work, um, which, you know, a lot of ARIs are that, I think, yeah. And with bus projects, do you think there's a similar vision between or across the Aries in terms of the space to fail or are there also points of difference and what would they be? 
Well, I think it's certainly true that those spaces do provide that, that opportunity to artists. I certainly think we also, though, have our own particular approaches to programming that mean that the the you know the the characteristics of people's programs have have difference within them which I think we, we all enjoy. I think there's also generations of organization have a difference within them as well. There's waves that you can identify in terms of I think you know Blindside and Boss and and a range of others came out of maybe an early two thousands wave of 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 kind of collective setting up of spaces and then there's a subsequent previous generation um, uh, you know which which you know you have spaces still around that came out of that you know slightly before that West space and even before that obviously earlier even earlier first draft um, so yes and, and I think within them they, they have their own roots in a, in a history that has led them to the reason why they program the way they do and then it's responsive to the current situation so I think in that case, it also has to cater to how people are making and, and the societal pressures on spaces to be um, places that are relevant to artists and the communities of, of practitioners around them. I think all of those, those things go into questions around are there spaces that are, are useful for people to kind of test and fail, or are they places where people really have agency to build their careers within? So if that's the primary purpose, and I think it, it really does adapt the needs. And what's the primary purpose of liquid architecture and do you think there is a, a space for failure or testing within that? Uh, absolutely. So liquid architecture's premise is to, to work with support artists working with sound and investigate the act of listening and the sounds themselves through that. So it might not always be with musicians, often it is, but any artist dealing with the, the sonic um, so this medium, this art form, is a really slippery one and one that um, a lot of artists use to, and we curatorially use to uh, inquire into larger political ideas or so social contexts. And I guess the art form allows um, room to move and certainly for failure or decoys kind of in the presentation of the works. We also um, act quite slippery. In a slippery way, as an organisation, uh, having no site, having no bricks and mortar, we, we work in partnership with a number of, yeah, hundreds of organisations and, and artists and collaborators across the country and internationally. And that diversity really um, means that the evaluation of success and failure are completely different in every, different, every, every context we work in. So... And I think that kind of concept of what does success mean or what does failure mean is really important within the artist-run space as well because mm. that question of how do you measure success, is it in bricks and mortar, is it in yeah. serving this many artists per year, um, but you guys get to define that for your organisation, so maybe that's a question that I would ask you. Can I just say something in response to, uh, so in response to your statement about the relevance of artist-run spaces and communities, I can say that as someone who is working in the community that I exist within myself, it will always be relevant as, a, as an artist um, and as a director of bus projects, Shannon, you, you know your community, you are that. There's a very slim kind of um, difference between what you're providing and what the people that you're working with need. And I think that need in some, yeah, well that also that need in some way reflects the current 
labeling of, of this tier of spaces. So Artist Run talks about agency. It talks about a certain control being um, placed within the hands of, of artists, them, them being at the core of um, uh, the, uh, the output in, in control of how they make it and how they show it. Mm. In previous generations, of course, as I was sort of saying, you know, that was you know, alternative or, or independent. And that was obviously independent of something or an alternative to something. And I think each, you know, these kind of useful titles for, especially for practitioners, um, uh, are important parts of this calibration in terms mm. of the sites they work in, the what, what they call them, um, all, uh, I, I think, conscious choices at one time or another. And these radical spaces um, really become experts in their own field, you know, so the evaluation of success of course they're successful because they're working in this, the way that they want to be, the way that we want to be working. We're doing this right now. I'm not talking about anyone else, actually. I don't know why I'm <laughs> externalising that. But uh, if we're able to um, be active and be working in the communities that we want, on the ideas that we're interested in, then that's, that's a term of success. And the, the layerings of all types of organisation that exist within the Australian ecology, I think, you know, I mean, we're talking a little bit from the point of view of artist-run spaces, but really, the especially one of the aims of the membership of all conference was to have a diversity of organisations that really didn't necessarily sit in one place. The way that somewhere like Unprojects has sort of diversified what it does, rather than just as an output of, of a print publication, is something that I've watched ever since I was at university and used to get you know uh, pick up a copy from the IMA, I guess, which is the only sort of site to access. You know, to, to really a, a really active digital entity as well um, has been quite exciting. It means also that I continually can't place where and what something like none is, <laughs> which is nice. Mm. And maybe that's the moment to ask how um, were there conscious decisions in how un has changed over time and where is it kind of sitting now and what are you guys hoping for it? Yeah, I think it is a fairly ephemeral organisation in some ways. We don't um, have a space. We're not visible in that kind of way. Um, we have until recently not really had um, any ongoing staff members. Um, it's really a kind of dispersed collective um, and our output historically has been the magazine which began in 2004 um, with all the challenges of print distribution that, that come with that. So I guess the conversation over recent years um, is always around what happens when we don't get funding. You know, printing, producing a magazine is not cheap. Um, and distribution is a, is a real challenge. Um, we've always had a commitment to paying writers and artists fees also. Um, so. We've been very lucky in terms of um, project funding year to year and issue to issue, um, but we did a few years ago kind of take a moment and really reassess, is this feasible to keep going? You never know when that funding's gonna run out. Um, we looked at perhaps moving the entire thing online or you know different models of should the magazine move to kind of partner with an institution for some stability, um, but I th we decided that came with way too many risks and, and kind of compromised payoffs potentially. Um, 
We did an audience survey as well to kind of help think through these issues and the feedback was overwhelming that the print um, aspect was really valued. Um, so in terms of our readership, it didn't seem like a good idea to kind of stop, stop that. Um, so yeah, we've, we've also, in terms of um, shifting our editorial strategies a little bit as well, we've found the online space is a way to do that more directly as a collective. So Unmagazine, um, basically it's, it comes out in two editions a year and we have a guest editorship that changes every year. So um, that allows the guest editor to really have some direction and creative control over the thematics, the networks, the ideas, the kind of artists and writers they want to work with, um, which has a great kind of creative outcome. But it does mean that we, um, the, the kind of payoff in that is that we're not always targeting um, a broad regional representation, things that are important to us in terms of diversity, um, and sort of sustaining a more ongoing relationship with different aspects of, of community. So um, we felt we'd be able to direct and be much more responsive with a, a you know, faster turnover of reviews and things like that if we moved into the online space as well as a kind of parallel to the magazine. I think there were also questions um, around how the magazine was sort of drifting in a way from its early beginnings as a very kind of quick, responsive, review-based magazine. Um, it became more and more through these guest editorships, I guess, but also through other changes in the sector. Um, people, were artists and writers, more so moving into the academy and uh, so much kind of research into contemporary practice in Australia was driving a lot of the thematics into a sort of pseudo-academic journal um, kind of space that is great in some ways, but there was also, we were losing that sort of faster, looser, um, responsive, grassroots review kind of um, aspect of the magazine's earlier incarnations. So there was a little bit of thought around that as well. And, we um, edited an anthology of the first 10 years of the magazine um, in 2014 and that gave us a chance to really look back and think through about what has been valuable in the content, what remains valuable over time um, and what's missing and what do we want to pick back up and what do we let go. So that's that sort of ongoing self-assessment and reflexivity as well as listening to our readers and contributors and community is really what sort of shapes any new direction. And what do you think is the role that unplays now um, for the community and within the broader arts ecology? I think remarkably the, um, the very core fundamental ideas and aims are still the same as they were really in 2004. The magazine started in Melbourne with a um, focus on reflecting and picking up the conversation that was going on in the sort of artist run or independent, whatever term you want to use, um, sector or community. Um, so it was really started by artists and writers to gather, document, discuss, debate and, and review and, and, you know, generate that discourse that was kind of missing 
um, it was a very active sector. It has been for a long time, um, but often goes un, unreviewed or undocumented um, at that time in the major media or, or newspapers and things like that. And I guess now it's even, you know, there, is, there are still so few outlets for art criticism. Um, so in comparison to the, the quantity and quality of shows and projects and artists and practices that are going on. Um, so Un really had that very basic um, aim of generating, providing space for that kind of discourse to happen. Um, and that's still our role, and I think we're still really sitting within that same community in a way. Um, the other aspect um, was always about mentoring and giving opportunity to emerging writers as well. So um, that's remained a really important part of what we do. So it's often the first place that people get published um, or have a review of their work, and I think that's, that's pretty important. What exactly is all conference and why as organisations and individuals you wanted to be part of this collective? So maybe Shannon. Well I can start in terms of some of the, the impulses that drove me to, to bring up the conversation um, with a group of organisations. Um, all conference is 15 um, artist-led experimental and cross-disciplinary arts organisations um, tend to be small-scale but obviously that, that's dependent on um, when you have some sort of liquid architecture, it's a, a sort of a sprawling entity, um, uh, much bigger than its kitchen table with the uh, lie. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, <laughs> um, but some of my interest in terms of all conference as, a, as an advocacy group, as a knowledge um, uh, sharing group, um, as a, as a response, was a response to um, a, both, a, a, both an interest in things that had happened previously my experience growing up in Queensland as an, as an artist and seeing how um, the scenes were very fragile and that they would evaporate um, each year, each, each other year. Um, you must have to re-found a scene. And then also an interest, I guess, in things that were around the art scene, uh, community radio, four triple Zs, um, events that they would, and, and, and the communities that would exist around those, um, uh, organized labor that would kind of uh, exist around uh, um, uh, entities like that, the kind of people kind of organising in their communities, um, was was very influential in Queensland, I guess, and that the shadow of conservative governments still kind of influenced how people thought of their place as a cultural outpost, and that that one had to um, be very kind of hesitant about setting down deep roots there because of the liability of, you know, basing your uh, your art career or your art life in, in, in Queensland always seem to be temporary. So some of those things all influence why when I moved to, to Melbourne and to, and to work at, at Bus and, and realised that really um, there was a, um, you know, there was a moment at Bus where I had the time and resources to, um, to bring up some conversations that may make the sector connect more and, 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 
and um, uh, be more resilient. And I think some of that came up around the time of, of when there was reallocations of funding away from the Australia Council, and it felt a bit lonely around that, that time. There was low morale, um, uh, and, and for organisations that were, were hurt by that um, uh, and, and not, it, it still felt that, that there was a, um, an informality to some of the conversations that were happening that maybe a network could grow within. Um, previously, you could look at networks in Victoria, particularly like the Victorian Initiatives of Artists Network, um, that Brett Jones and Warren Taylor and others sort of founded. You can look at that long list of organisations and see so, so many spaces that have closed. So it felt to me also that there was an urgency to bring together spaces that did have a history and did want longevity um, to, to perhaps be talking a little more in a little more formal way to both amplify their voices but perhaps to deal with some of the issues we've talked about today in terms of like how to address the, the problems that have arrived in their program, how to um, bring up issues that weren't naturally arising in programs um, and also to learn from each other I think to break out of um, always a, say a, an artist centric how do I pay my rent discussion to one that was talking with liquid architecture and, and on and runway and um, also in different localities as well to link you know things happening in Tasmania to what's happening here to Western Australia to you know we're still missing Northern Territory, in a way, which you know, would be fun to kind of solve that problem through our network as well, how to make it diverse. But those were the impulses that drove me to, to, to bring up a conversation with a group of organisations, and it kind of developed from there. I guess the fragility of the sector was a driving force for me, and I guess the idea of, yeah, solidarity, like what joins us should come before what divides us, in this sense. Um, and yeah, a real sharing of knowledge, I think, because it does get quite lonely, I think, sometimes. And it's quite, um, there's a lot of anxiety, I guess, especially when uh, there's low morale, when funding is taken away, when you're not sure, you know, when you didn't start your organisation and it's been going for 15 years, you don't want to be the one. <laughs> you don't want to, you don't want to be the one that closes it either. The need for longevity. And I think that Australia needs us. I think that we're important. And... If joining together means that we're all able to continue to kind of unpick those problems, then then that's why it's so important. That's why I feel all conference is important. Um, all of that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure what further I can add there, other than um, the ability that this collectivism has to leverage a little bit more thinking space amongst everyone, being able to uh, have a bit of feedback around benchmarking and, and more profound ideas about what we're doing and whether we're actually serving the artists we work with in the best way through to very practical stuff like, hey, do you have a good accountant that's cheap? <laughs> like that, that feedback on, a, on an everyday level is increasingly becoming so useful in the role that I do at Liquid Architecture, also behind the scenes working with all conference in this research sense. I see that those kind of connections and conversations are, are increasing and um, locally in Melbourne, but certainly across the country as well. Like already great conversations happening between First Draft and Liquid Architecture. We work with each other already, but these, this kind of, um, yeah, I guess feedback throughout the All Conference Network is really starting to resonate across the country. 
Mm. I think it enables like a higher level of productivity as well, yeah. you know, yeah. rather than spending a week trying to find a cheap accountant. Totally. <laughs> and, you know, there are a whole lot of different um, scaled and, and paced organisations within our conference at the moment. And, you know, some have funding for staff to kind of alleviate a bit of brain space, other, others don't so much. So I think that that kind of pooling of energy across um, the group is something that is starting to emerge already, kind of peer support in a way. For Anne, I think it was, um, yeah, just that moment of precarity um, around funding and, and organisational stability. Um, so coming together in, in any potential way that could um, perhaps be a lobbying kind of agent at some point was, you know, appealing to us. And also um, for Anne, I, th- I think we felt it was important that we could bring um, the voice of writers and criticism and publishing to this network as well. Um, and it, also a way for us to connect nationally. We. We're kind of a national organisation, although it started in Melbourne and lots of us are based here. Our editorship has has um, held office in Sydney, Perth and elsewhere, but um, I think we're still kind of perceived as a Melbourne organisation and, and somehow kind of perceived also as sort of a, an established institution in some ways, even though it feels like we run um, almost invisibly and <laughs> in this really kind of um, grant to grant kind of way so yeah connecting connecting on on those terms was important I think also to add to that some of the story of my experience at bus informed this this network as well in terms of how um, bus was able to uh, through you know through hard work and, and also some some you know, some chance um, uh, developments um, progress quite quickly in a in a relatively traditional way, um, uh, to the point where it, it, it had multi-year funding from, or it has multi-year funding from a number of sources, and has staff now as well, and that that may not last, you know that that comes from Pete, that comes from kind of a, you know, uh, an ability to write grants, of course, but 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 it, there's also a, a a momentary positive perception of what Bus is doing, the people it has relationships with. The building it has, the the way that it kind of articulates itself, but that is something that um, may not, well, as I said, may not be something that lasts. But also, it's very different for other organisations. They're very similar to us, so it it felt like there was a moment to use some of that time and resourcing to better the the, the our part of or our tier of the ecology mm-hmm. to some way, quite directly. So we can kind of understand our conference as a as an enduring framework around all the areas and and you mentioned I mean, most in this group do have a certain longevity or desire for longevity but uh, I feel that our conference is also uh, existing to support those who don't seek out that longevity but still can um, find value and. and in what we're doing and also ways to to put a voice to say that i mean the pathways that we have been invited to pursue and 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 have done so are pretty conventional models of development you know director curator program manager um uh, state government you know um 
the pump, and that may not actually be a pathway that everyone wants to go down, but should be defended from making those choices as well. So some of the the diversity of membership of, of all conferences to, to try to have those conversations that says, well, look, management structures like what you, what we're what are being suggested and what people have confidence in may not be the only way. And actually, through the, some of the research that um, George is overseeing as well, it, it may come that, that there can be quite a strong case put that diversely made up groups, diversely kind of constituted um, and, and, and managed um, organisations can and do you know, do a huge amount and shouldn't be necessarily, um, uh, there shouldn't necessarily be only one way. And it's those management structures, I guess, that we, you know, that are funded, I guess, which is... And, and also this, I mean, that, that's no, I mean, they can't necessarily be blamed for that given that where's the alternative argument being put? Um, and I don't think it's any accident that there are, you know, everyone in, in different parts of, whether it's business or, you know, everyone... Yeah, do so through collective action to some degree. To you know, business pretends it doesn't, but then it has a hundred lobby groups uh, and business councils that sort of do this for them and do their research and put forward papers. And you know, for us, we may it may be more reserved and we may not um, wish to kind of uh, be very overt about this, but we can think definitely and we can critique and we can write and we can put forward our case and argue our, our um, that that the models that we kind of pursue are really fundamental to the to the arts ecology and that that to what people talk about us um, especially the smaller gallery-based arts organizations is feeding into the sector but that's really not been accentuated just how fundamentally awful it would be if we evaporated yeah um if especially the gallery i mean we're not necessarily would be the same for runway and arm of course as well i mean just that the idea that they fulfill such a, a huge amount of um uh, they take up such a huge amount of, of they generate such content in the scene. The same for the galleries. If they were to evaporate, the programs that would go with them would 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 leave the sector bereft. You know, so so it, you know, it's about from for me about an opportunity to put forward some of that case in a way that yeah had some had some weight behind it. On the point of volunteerism, I think that's you know um, the elephant in the room. It's like such a, a um, big part of how these organisations survive and um, continue and they're just massive compromises that we all make on a day-to-day basis to um, you know there's a sort of vocational aspect to a lot of what we do Um, and while UN always pays fees it's nowhere near uh, guidelines or best practice standards so I know the NAVA guidelines are um, for writers, it's a dollar per word. If we were to do that, um, one issue of the magazine would cost about forty to fifty thousand dollars just in writers' fees, let alone printing and production. So that's an impossibility. So there's a question around when we're setting standards and guidelines: um, <laughs> are they realistic, and uh, are we going to? Um, you know, how much will we compromise to, to put the product out versus, you know, it, it being just impossible and invisible, I don't know. I think that's definitely a question that's something we've been looking at because our last fees and wages <laughs> update, we surveyed the entire sector because we wanted to know what was actually being paid so that we could put something that was um, 
not enforceable, but that was feasible for a range of organisations. We've also recognised that artist-led orgs or independent orgs are different, and so there's a different scale set for all of them as well. What's really interesting with the volunteerism as well is this question of expectation, because there's an expectation that um, not just by, say, government or funding agencies that these will continue on voluntary basis, but also expectations by the sector. And I was um, in another state recently, I can't remember, and they were saying trying to get their next lot of RE directors is choosing to be next to impossible, just no one's applying. Mm. Um, and so I think it's like, how do you um, also manage um, the human resources of organisations and manage them ethically is probably the best way to do It's really hard, yeah. We have like a pretty traditional kind of board structure but it's a very hands-on board and you know it's always uneven. There's always three people that are doing more than the other ten and that's always the way and it's that way in ARIES and it's probably that way in group work at university. It's how things happen naturally <laughs> but it is really there's a really big pressure and it is really hard to it's hard to find time to even think about replacing or finding someone to kind of come in because it's so consuming anyway I would also say that 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 volunteer like some people link it to, to an ethical standpoint which is great you know that that there is a kind of some people have a kind of stance around why why that shouldn't be a, a why you shouldn't and this relates, I guess, to the, what that implies, a traditional creep towards institution and bureaucracy, which can be counted, you know, it, it doesn't have to always be that way, but at the moment it kind of, it kind of it's a signal often that it is. Um, but it's kind of compounded by um, other societal factors. Volunteerism is a lot easier to do if you have a stable university job um, uh, that brings in forty, fifty thousand dollars a year and gives you great holidays and great time off. And it, some of the work you can do at a gallery counts research or something. You know, it's great. But university work even is to become tenuous. You know, people's contracts are so short, or um, you know, there's constant pressure around low wages. Just outside of that, people talk about portfolio careers often when when people sit around a table. But in reality, portfolio careers. I mean, that's not that's not a consultancy here and a, a you know paid board position here. It's like like a cafe here, or maybe some additional install work, maybe or some if maybe you try to do a like a photo documentation business or you know these things are not necessarily give you a lot of mental space. You know, it puts people at mental risk to kind of do a whole lot of stuff. And maybe maybe that this is more a question because we've got a, a longevity mindset um, and often these. Well, at least from Buster's point of view, and I know you know others, like Kings and Seventh and Blindside, and and um, and others who manage spaces, you know, um, uh, you know Moana, Box Copy. These are kind of physically exhausting things to do. You know, you have to be there. You have to open them. You have to. You put yourself at risk of legal. You know, if you go into debt, and so some of these things are like there's there's a reason why it's not a frivolous thing um, to to talk about. Um, looking at from a Queensland standpoint, it does perpetuate a habit of burnout and 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 complete, you know, um, divorcing from an art scene. You have people kind of hating their, what they did and hating the scene at the time, and so you go back to kind of talk to people about these things, and and it wasn't a good experience. It doesn't have to be that way. That feels to me. I guess too something that is constantly 
on our minds at Blindside is kind of creating situations where obviously it's a volunteer-led space, but how can we create situations where people can also get something that's not just a line on their CV? How can we create projects that are fun for people to be part of, that are engaging, and how can we create different areas across our organisation that are diverse enough for to allow a number of different people to come in? And that's kind of, I guess, maybe a strategy that we've Im- implemented to kind of recruit new people hmm. that are, you know, enthusiastic and excited because you, you really need that enthusiasm, otherwise it doesn't work. We have a very fortunate um, position, I guess, amidst the whole conference thing is liquid architecture uh, can afford to pay, not very much or not many hours, but um, we do have a commitment to pay staff, to pay production uh, specialists and, and to pay artists always, but nobody's paid particularly well. Uh, so what we do do is ensure that everyone who's contributing has that agency, that word that we're all using, but has creative um, responsibilities, can lead their particular uh, field of work and contribution to the organisation and their activities, particularly when we have uh, associate curators and writers and uh, emerging artists working with us, giving them autonomy in the projects they're working with rather than coming in as a volunteer and being told to sit there and do this and do this. I mean, starting a new archiving project and the ideas around that are really coming from the young artists that we're working with and their particular tastes are contributing to what we're doing. So uh, I'm very aware of asking too much from people but um, if there's this agency and creative uh, authorship there, that's something at least. Head to our website visualarts.net.au for more information on NAVA's advocacy and campaigns for improving the working environment for Australian artists and arts organisations.